Oh, I just feel the presence of the Lord today. I want him, don't you? I'm hungry for him. I don't know about you, but church is normal. It's just too normal. It's, and people's not going to come out by groves just to witness our programs. They're needing Jesus. They're needing a life change. The Lord quickened a couple of dreams to me that he gave me a, several years ago. You know, how many of you know the Bible said old men have dreamed dreams? And I realized why God speaks to old men in dreams because he can't keep them awake. <laughs> if I sit down 10 minutes and somebody don't say something, I'm sleeping. So, But he spoke to me and I, I saw a church and, and it wasn't a particular church. I knew it was the church and the glory of the Lord was abiding on the place. And they were in a continual service in this dream and People were coming and going, and some just couldn't leave the presence of the Lord. The glory of the Lord was over the place. And I was standing out in amazement of the glory of the Lord. It was in a form of a cloud over this building, and I couldn't recognize the building. And something inside of me cried out, let it be, Lord. Let it be. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Pour out on us. And I began to pray that prayer for several weeks. I just prayed, Lord, just pour out your glory on us. Pour out your glory on us. And then I had a second dream. And in the second dream, I was inside a building, a building I didn't know again. And there was rain pouring in just streams down from the roof of this place. I mean, it was just pouring. It looked like that roof was a sift, and they was... Water and I mean streams like this just pouring. And I looked across the floor and there were vessels of every shape and size and every material across the floor. But the thing that bothered me, Clay, was they were just so close to experiencing the outpouring of God. They just needed to move over just a little bit. But there was no water going into vessels. It was going between the vessels and there was a flood on the ground. But the vessels just like just a little bit. Just a little bit of positioning. And the Lord began to speak to me. Don't pray for my glory if you're unwilling to be positioned to receive it. See, we're not bribing God or trying to convince God to pour out his glory. He's trying to position us to receive it. And it's more about us being in the right place tonight, my heart is thrilled with all those that have come, friends of mine, sons of mine from all over the region. And there's a representation of the kingdom here, not just a tribe. And that's what God wants. God wants us to become kingdom-minded. We're just not here to carry out our little thing. <laughs> We're here to experience God. What Donald was talking about, we might experience the glory of the Lord. Listen to me. You don't have to add anything to the glory of the Lord to get man's attention. You don't have to add anything to the gospel for it to be transforming. We don't have to have any gimmickry. <laughs> if Jesus shows up tonight, everybody will show up next week. We just need him to show up. 
It's just such a joy for me to see all these people I love from so many different places because the kingdom is greater than the tribe, no matter how great your tribe is. And we've been too tribal and not enough kingdom-minded. And that's why the Lord, the Lord's not pouring out because we have our little thing that we're doing. How many of you know you can't pray, oh, God, bless my mess? But how many of you know it's time that we quit praying for God to put his hand on our agenda and we start putting our hand on his agenda and doing what he's called us to do and position ourselves that the rain pours on us. Listen, you don't have to beg God to do this. You just got to position yourself. And I know in my life there's times where I've experienced the outpouring of the Spirit of God in my life. And he desires to do that. So tonight I, I just welcome you. I, I, I don't really do the protocol thing too good. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to be here tonight. I'm so thankful to be here to share for the glory of God. I want his glory. I'm hungry for him. Like I've never been hungry before. And I've just been praying, oh God, get me out of your way so you can be what you want to be to people. Lord, help me to just be a voice peace for you. Just speak what you want me to speak. How many of you know we've got our little things that we go through, our little rituals, <laughs> and, and they've not moved the hand of God. This one I talked about trying to get God to move. How many of you know you're trying to get God to move? That's a great big task because he just don't pay you that much attention when you're trying to get him to move. And you can't pump him up and you can't bring him down. He's God and he knows he is. You got to get to a place to where you hunger for him to pour out on you. And tonight, I'm not even interested in preaching. I'm interested in experiencing God. And this morning, I talked about the, what draws God to you. Donald talked about the weakness. How many of you know he said in our weakness, his strength's made perfect. But as I begin to study for this week, I want to talk about the move of God. And this morning I talked about how God moves in our life personally. And I'm so thankful for every move of God I ever experienced. The first time I encountered God, I was a nine-year-old boy, and I saw a cloud come in a building, a little shotgun building in Appalachia, Virginia. I saw a man raised out of a wheelchair. I saw my sister swallow a quarter as big as my fist. I saw my mama heal from a nervous breakdown just in one night, Mark, of God's visitation. Years passed, and I tried to take my life, but I could not get over the fact of that one night as a little boy experiencing the glory of God for my first time. It was real. I remember my prayer the next day as I laid on a basement door in Lynch, Kentucky, a little boy. And I looked up where the mountain touched the sky. And this is what I said. God, you're for real. I saw you last night. You ain't a joke. You're for real. And you're able to change the lives of people. How many of you know he's still real? He's still able to meet every need in your life. And you don't need a sermonette to Christianette. You need an outpouring of the glory of the Lord. It'll make a difference in your life. You'll never get over it. And I remember standing with a razor blade on my arm when I was a 17-year-old boy in Dallas, Texas. 
And all I could see was that cloud in that building and the presence of Jesus. That's why I'm here. Because he touched me and I'll never be the same. His touch brings change to us. We need him. How many just lift your hand and say, Lord, I need you so bad. I just need you so bad. See, listen, the glory of the Lord doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. You can't manufacture it. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Listen, that's a promise from God. You don't make that happen. God's going to make that happen. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth and the glory as the water covers the sea. When is that going to happen, Brother Rick? When we get positioned. When we do what he told us to do. Did you know every one of us have a part to play in that? Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus is speaking. He said, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness. And then the end shall come. What are you saying? I'm saying when the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. You don't need to beg for him to show up. You need to go out and make sure you do what he told you. And as you do that, you position yourself to experience his glory. Joel chapter 22 says he's going to pour out the former and the latter reign together in verse 23. He said he's going to pour out his spirit on your sons and daughters. <laughs> They're going to prophesy. Brother Rick, do you really believe revival's coming? No, I don't believe it's coming. I know it's coming. He said it was coming. You don't have to talk him into it. He won't move like a puppet. Or a minuet, he'll move when we move to do exactly what he told us to do. I'm thankful for everybody that's in here, but I'm burdened for those that are not. There's people within two miles of this church with their drapes drawn, contemplating taking their own life while we're sitting here in the presence of an awesome God. We began to pray in our church a few years ago, and we took the phone booth or phone book and started just praying over names. And within a matter of a few days, a guy showed up, and I'm telling you, you could have thrown a rock and hit his house. And he talked about what happened to him. We told him when we started praying for him. We said, we pointed the date that we had prayed for his name. And he said, I'd been in an alcoholic blackout with a pistol in my mouth when I come to myself. Listen to me. Don't you know Jesus died for that man just as much as he died for us in this room? What brought him when we got a burden for him? Listen, please hear my heart tonight. If we would do what he said, he will do what he said. Did you hear me? If we would do what he said, he'll do what he said.
Now my heart is heavy tonight because I want to experience the move of God. I want to experience his glory again. Seeing that before makes me hunger. Jesus gave us a great commission. He gave us a great commandment. And as we fulfill it, how many of you know he's got another plan? <laughs> You know, that's what I was talking about this morning. I'm thankful for every move of God I've experienced, and I've seen some incredible stuff. Debbie and I have been talking about our life, and we're planning on writing a book together. And uh, her book really prompted me to realize that there's two sides of the coin, where I've been and what I've seen and what she experienced while I was gone. And we're so excited about just sharing together because I don't know what she experienced until I read her book. And I wept like a baby because I didn't realize what a sacrifice she paid while I was seeing the world. And as she put it many times, somebody's got to work while others loaf around. <laughs> and I realized what two different streams we are. And... and she began just a couple years ago taking all of the trips that I've made. I've been around the world 35 times, 42 different nations over the course of my life. And she got all the ticket stubs and all of these things that she's kept. If you know Debbie, she still got the cup that the babies cut their teeth on that was styrofoam. She don't throw nothing away. In fact, when we moved, she said, I said, there's some garbage under the bed. She's like, that ain't garbage. It was a napkin that the baby used and teeth print in a cup. I'm like, I throw that away myself. But she took all those stubs and she lined them all up. And somebody asked us about writing a book. And I told them, I said, we're going to share the story. And uh, Debbie said, his first trip was to Kenya. And all of a sudden, I began to relive that. She's never known about that. Because I didn't tell her because it was scary. I didn't want to freak her out because I was afraid I couldn't make another trip. But I began to tell about that story, and I looked, and she teared up because she ain't heard that story. And then when I began to read the book that she had written, I realized I didn't know that story. See, she tried to get me to read the book for two months, and I'm like, I was in the car with you. I don't need to read a book. <laughs> My Lord, what a difference from the same front seat. Because we don't know what the other person is going through. Sacrifice is being made. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying that the glory of God don't just pour out because we demand it. Something we got to do. And we don't really know what to do. How many of you know we, we really don't know? We say, oh, God, show up. Show up, Lord. Double our church. Triple our church. You realize what you're praying for? If you're a children's church worker and you got 75 kids that you can't control but 20 of them, I mean, I even know you're praying for triple. You better be getting yourself positioned for that. What would you do if God actually answered your prayers and quadrupled the size of your church in a week? What would you do in the book of Acts if you preached half a sermon like Peter? Peter preached two half a sermons and they run 8,000. Because the glory of the Lord showed up. Can you imagine this place if in just two Sunday messages you run an eight grand? Oh, God, show up, Lord, show up, show up. <laughs> you better get yourself ready. 
What are you saying? I'm saying the world's growing darker and the light's going to shine brighter and they're going to come by the groves and we ain't ready for what's coming is what I'm saying. You better prepare your heart for that. I mean, let me know I still love you. I'm just telling you there's something we do to prepare. And the only hint we've got of how to prepare is in the Old Testament. What will it look like when God pours out his glory? See, what we failed to realize was the Old Testament had a great commission. You find out about it in Genesis chapter 15. The Lord issued a commission for them as the children of Israel that we were going to occupy a land called the Royal Grant that would go from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea. From Syria to Egypt, he mapped out a place for them to conquer and rule. And that's what the Old Testament's about. That's why they had to conquer the cities in the book of Joshua. They had a commission. What did it look like? Well, we read about the end of the journey. In fact, I want Debbie to come and read because I'm crying and I can't see the book. But I want her to read about when the glory shows up because I want to whet your appetite. How many of you like to be around when a cloud forms over the church and people start coming by groves and it ain't got nothing to do with you? How many want to be a part of that meeting right there when God shows up? Dr. Paris said to me, if you can get there about the same time the Holy Ghost does, you'll look a whole lot better. How many of you know if we just get there about the time the Holy Ghost shows up, you're going to look a lot better. I want Deb to read this, and then I want to go back and look at what he's doing. This is Second Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. And it, even, and it came even to pass as the trumpeteers and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard. In praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not even stand to minister by reason of that cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Boy, that's what we need. Let's pray. Father, just speak through us tonight, Lord, what's on my heart. God, I really don't care how it comes out. I just want it to go in deep inside of us, Lord, that we hunger and long, Lord, for your glory that nothing else will substitute or satisfy. God, we'll not be enamored by Sunday service, but we'll hunger for a continual habitation of your spirit, Lord. Give us that desire. Give us ears to hear and understanding hearts and obedient wills, Lord, that we'll experience the glory that awaits us. 
that's found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody said amen. God, that's what we want. See, the temple just took seven years to build, and the people that were there thought seven years was what it was about. <laughs> See, each one of us have a part in the plan of God, and God's been moving for years. If you think God's just going to move someday, you don't miss what God's already been doing. You know, we're praying, God, bring a revival. Do you realize 30,000 Chinese are getting saved every day? That sounds something like a revival to me. Just ain't happening in your neighborhood. But God's moving. He's always moving. I said, God's always moving. We just need to get to where he's moving over us. And the temple took seven years to build. But it took a whole lot more time to prepare for it. In fact, it took 150 years before the glory of the Lord showed up. If you go back to Judges chapter 17. And you begin to read in Judges 17, 6, chapter 18 and verse 1, chapter 19 and verse 1, chapter 21 and verse 25, you'll read the condition they were in when they started. <coughs> Says these same words, there was no king in Israel. So everybody did what was right in their own eyes. How many of you know that describes the United States of America right now? There's no leadership. Anytime there's a vacancy of leadership, there is the birth of anarchy, both in the natural and in the spiritual. We need to make Jesus Lord of our life, Lord of the church, Lord of Manchester. Are you hearing me? Once Jesus becomes Lord and we have authority in place, then everything begins to fall in place in our life. When Jesus becomes Lord of your life, you might not have been perfect, but things were moving towards you. And things begin to change because Jesus became Lord of the situation. <laughs> I didn't have all the answers. I didn't even know all the questions. But I knew something had happened to me. I remember when I got saved, August 7th, 1972 at 735. You know how I knew that I was born again? Because the same people I wanted to slap when I sat down in that church, I wanted to hug when I got up out of the floor. I knew something happened to me. I'd pass from death unto life because I wanted to hug everybody in the building. You know, I still got that desire right now. I'd like squeeze every one of you like popping a pimple. I just want to hug you. I just want to share the love of Jesus with you. Why? Because I've been born again. Things are different. I don't know all the answers, but I'll tell you one thing. I know who the answer is. It's Jesus. Religion can't bring that to you. Only a Savior can do that. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes because there was no authority. And then God began to introduce some concepts I want to give you tonight. I'm going to try my best to give them to you quick, but that's no firm promise. The first concept that happened was they began to pray. And here's what I can tell you. You won't experience a move of God without experience a burden of prayer. And there was a woman by the name of Hannah. And here's what prompted her to pray. She became intolerable towards barrenness. 
That's what the church needs to do. We need to have an absolute intolerance if people are not being born again. She said, I can't be unfruitful anymore. <laughs> I can't do it because my husband won't be pleased. They'll continue to make fun of me because I don't have any children. And she became intolerable towards barrenness. See, we don't judge a service by how many people jumped up and down or whether or not we had a message or not. Well, how excited we are as Christians. Listen, the devil don't care how infected you are as long as you're quarantined. As long as you're not disturbing his kingdom. You can jump, run, scream, and holler, but if nobody's been born again, you've missed the purpose of why he brought us together. We need to see salvation of souls. Why? Because they're dying and going to hell. And we know that we have the answer for their life. And Hannah began to pray. And I'm here to tell you, that's what I've been praying. Oh, God, burden the church with prayer. Give us intercessors, those that travail in the Holy Ghost, that sons and daughters can be born into the kingdom of God. Don't let our families get so comfortable and so lax that they don't even think about Jesus. How many of you know you come into the kingdom because somebody pray for you? My mama prayed for me. I went to Texas thinking I'd get away from God. I met every Christian I reckon in Texas because she was sick in the Holy Ghost on me from Harlan County. And I'd see people coming to me, and they'd be grinning. I knew he's Christian. I'm like, you're Christian, ain't you? Yeah, I'm a Christian. How'd you know? I said, because my mama won't quit. She won't quit. I was trying to carry on meanness. You know, it's hard to carry on meanness when you're surrounded by Christian people and you didn't invite them. I knew I'd just as well go. I surrender. She was saying, Lord, don't give him a minute's peace. <laughs> don't let him get accustomed to that lifestyle. You shake him up. Sick him, sick him, sick him, sick him. I'm so glad she did. Nobody just comes to Jesus. You pray them in position to accept him. You know why we're not seeing more of the power of God? We're not seeing more of prayer to God. Ow. Look to your neighbor and say, he still ain't mad at us. He's trying to help us. <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to help us. Because see, Hannah prayed and God heard her. Boy, for those prayer meetings where they think we've slipped a gear. Anybody ever been in them? <laughs> they thought Hannah was drunk. Because sometimes people got so used to just going through the formalities. When God really does move, they think you're weird. Because he don't read your bulletin. He actually thinks he's God and he moves like he wants to. You think you could program him in a time frame. How many of you know there's two words for that? Stupid. He's God. But when you pray, everybody say, I got to pray more. How many of you know that's true right there? We just got to pray more. There was a concept of prayer. There was no king in Israel. There was the absence of government. Hannah was intolerable towards barrenness, so she prayed. And the second element for his glory 
was born, and it's the prophetic. We're scared to death of prophetic because it's been abused. And it's true, it has been abused. But how many of you know just because something's been abused doesn't mean it's not authentic and needed? Because see, until you experience the prophetic, you don't have God's vision of your situation. It's through the prophetic. And the word prophetic means more than just popcorn prophecy in a parking lot. It means the declaration of the word of God. <laughs> I'm prophesying right now to you with this microphone in my hand because I'm declaring to you the word of the Lord. And when Hannah prayed, the prophetic was born in the concept that there was a God who began to speak about how he really wanted to make the tribes into a kingdom. And the prophetic was born. Thank God for prophetic words how many of you know the bible tells us in thessalonians chapter 5 don't despise that don't despise prophesying why because we say oh god i want you to change how many of you know he's going to give us a word before he moves he said i'm not just going to move unless i share it with my prophets don't despise that we're seeing a rise in the prophetic ministry why is that because jesus is coming and he's wanting to give us insight and we need that insight so Hannah prayed. Everybody say, Hannah prayed. And the prophetic was birthed. The concept of the prophetic. What happened when the prophetic come? How did it change the situation? Because now there was a prophet named Samuel, and he began to anoint Boy, how we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Are you listening to me? See, until Samuel showed up, there was nobody to anoint. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that he anointed a man named Saul. It's very important to know how he anointed Saul. He took a vial. A vial is a human instrument. It was made by somebody. And he anointed Saul with a little vial of oil. <laughs> Because the people wanted a king, but they really didn't want the king. So God told them, said, well, take this vial and, and go over and pour it on his head. And so he anointed Saul. But as you read on, you'll find out in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that all of a sudden God said, I'm displeased with him because he's no longer small in his own eyes. He's got the big head, and I'm through with him. Now take a horn of oil and go anoint David because something needs to die before something can live. And you don't take a vial this time. You take the horn of an animal that's been sacrificed and you fill it with oil and you pour that oil over his head because I got a plan bigger than human ingenuity. Listen to what I'm telling you. That's why God's not going to pour out on our little plans. It's a vow to him and it's vow to him. But boy, if we would die to our agenda and live to his agenda, and once that death occurs, he will pour out his oil. So there was a concept of the anointing that took place. What is anointing? I can simply define it as this. It's God wiping his super, super on your natural. Just means a residue of grease that remains because of an embrace. 
Imagine they poured five quarts of oil over a priest's head. Stand up here. I know you're two times taller than me. But if I was a priest, I had five quarts of oil poured over my head, and you hugged me. All of a sudden, what's on me is left on you. That's what the anointing is. It's what remains after he embraces us. It's not how we've suddenly become something and, and we get goosebumps. How many of you know goosebumps ain't the anointing? Maybe the air conditioner kicking out. It's the residue of his embrace. There's a concept that comes. How's it come? It comes through prayer and then through prophetic outpouring. And then there's a concept of anointing. But let's go to the next one. Because the next is a concept of warfare. We don't like this. We want a testimony with no test. How many of you know that's just an ammonia? You know the word money actually means payment. That's why alimony means you're getting a payment from Al. <laughs> testimony means God will not allow you to go through anything without a payment for it. Oh, I want the ammonia. Mine is a test. How many of you want an ammonia? Yeah, give me a payment. <laughs> Just send a check in the mail. I won't even show up. Just bless me, Lord, bless me. But how many of you know it's the test? It's the warfare that brings the victory. And here was a warfare. The anointed one had to conquer the fleshly one. Uh-oh. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to start meddling now. Because see... We want the anointing of God to come on us and we're too alive to experience his resurrection power. And the flesh wants to be satisfied, but we want to walk in the glory of God. It's such a paradox. It won't happen because we've got to experience death to experience resurrection. I was reading a book years ago, and this man was praying and said, Oh, God, show me what it will take for me to walk in the fullness of your spirit. And he said the Lord swept him up in a vision, took him to a cemetery, and he said he was walking in a cemetery, and he looked at a tombstone, had his name on it. And the Lord said, Lay down here in your flesh. You'll walk out with me in your spirit. See, your level of walking in the anointing will be parallel equal to your, le to your level of walking in death to your flesh. And this is why we're not experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Ghost because we want to walk in the fullness of our flesh while walking in the fullness of God, and it will not work. And God's calling us to position ourselves through the kingdom concept of spiritual warfare. You're going to experience a war, and the real war is not what's happening around us. ISIS is not the problem of the United States. It is the absence of the presence of Jesus. That is our problem. Because if we was committed to Jesus like they're committed to a false God, we'd be turning the world upside down. Amen? So there's a concept of warfare. Let's go to the next one. Because once the concept 
of the warfare of the flesh is conquered, then you can deal with a real enemy. The real enemy was the Philistines. They were the ones that was ruling while they were fighting inside the church. And that's our problem. We fight inside the church while the devil was making havoc in the world. We got to conquer the war inside before we can ever entertain a war outside. And God's calling us to conquer Saul, our flesh, so that we can walk in the fullness of the concept of government. Because the real problem was there was no king in Israel. And David began to dispossess the Philistines. And Israel began to be positioned to walk in the victory of the fullness of God. So we need that government. And people fight against that government. We don't want to be submitted to anything. We're Americans. We don't have to be over. Nobody got to be over us. Bless God, we're over ourselves. Who in the world that guy think he is, eh? Why should I pay any attention to Mark Huff? Don Sam, I don't care what Eddie Elmore thinks. I don't care. It ain't them. It's where God put them. We submit to authority. God raises our authority. That's what I talked about this morning. The man that sent his friend to get his servant healed, he said he understands authority. <laughs> He understands what it means to say to one, go, and another, come. He understands that. See, once you understand, it's not the person. It's the position God's put that person in. And if we submit to that, how many of you know we walk in the fullness of what God has intended? And so government has to be established. It's a rule of God. David begins to rule. He don't begin to rule from Jerusalem. He begins to rule in a cave with a bunch of people that's in debt and discontent and discouraged. How many of you know if you can't rule in a cave, God ain't going to put you on a throne? God was telling me, he said, I'd like to go across the world and preach the gospel. I said, listen, ain't no sense of going everywhere to preach if you ain't preaching everywhere you go. Do you hear what I said? Ain't no sense going over to Africa to preach if you ain't preaching in London, in Manchester. How many of you know making a trip across the water just going to make you a tourist? going to make you tired. It ain't going to change who you are. <laughs> you ain't witnessing to your neighbor. How many of you know you get off plane, you ain't suddenly going to become Billy Graham? I know what I'm talking about. I've made a few trips. I remember coming back from overseas. Man, across the street, it's Christmas. I've been to India. Come back, and Debbie made me a big German chocolate cake while I was gone. Her neighbor lady died. Her name was Elizabeth. And, and everybody knew Elizabeth because she looked out the curtains all the time. She was a one-person neighborhood watcher. <clears throat> you got my point. I got this German chocolate cake. Man, I can't wait to tear into it. And the Lord said, did you know Mr. Hensley don't have a cake baker anymore? His wife died. I thought, bless his heart, I'm fixing to eat me some cake. <laughs> and the Lord said, give him your cake. And I said, is it okay if I give him one like my cake? I went in the kitchen. I said, David, make a German chocolate cake. She said, I just made one. I said, yeah, but that and mine. Make one for Mr. Hensley across the street. And I remember Tate was just a little girl. I said, come on, Tate, and go with me. She said, where are we going? I said, next door. 
I remember walking over and knocking on Mr. Hensley's door. He opened the door, and I was standing with German chocolate cake. I said to him, I know your cake bakers went home to be with the Lord. But I couldn't eat cake over there knowing you didn't have cake over there. I'd been to India, and you know, I wasn't even praying for the guy across the street from me. I don't know what this is done for you. Listen, if this ain't helping you, just let me help myself a little while. I really need this. I just need to get back to the basics of what it means to show the love of Jesus to those that don't know him. Just to do something out of the way so they know you went the extra mile. That's what I'm doing right now to a neighbor. They're shacked up together in a little house by me. Back last year, around December, I went out and they was trying to get their old car started. They pulled it out of a fence row. Man, it was an old car, old Camaro. I think it was shaking. It looked like fenders going to fall off of it. The windows wouldn't roll up. It was cold. And I said, y'all having car trouble? Yeah. And that woman said, if you can call us a car. I went on in the house, and I said, Lord, give them a car. And the Lord said, you give them a car. You live next door to them. I said, Lord, I really actually don't want to start walking. I kind of like my car. But I couldn't get that off my mind. And I kept talking to God. God, what do you have for me for next year? What do you have for me for <laughs> I was trying to get the vision for the next year because I didn't like what he's wanting me to do in December. That's the way we do, ain't it? And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do next year? He said, I'd like for you to write this morning and spend some time with me. I started writing. I got a phone call. And it was from Zach Strong, who was here last month. And Zach said to me, Rick, do you need a car? And I said, yeah, I think I do. He said, I got a car given to me. And he said, but when I sat down there, the Lord said it was for you that you need a car. And I said, well, I really don't need a car, but I will shortly <laughs> if I obey the Lord. And you know how we go through that thing. God, if this is really you, you know, make the mulberry tree, spin the Volkswagen in a circle, you know. We know it's God because we ain't come up with it. I tell you that, we ain't come up with this plan. I said, God, if it's you, when I go out, let them be standing there. They never both in the yard. I thought I'd say, <coughs> I went out and there they stood. I said, Hey, listen, I was praying for y'all to get a car. These people don't know nothing about prayer. They think God's speaking to the fat guy. He's a little weird. He's just a little weird. He thinks he hears from God. And I said, the funniest thing happened. I prayed for you to get a car, and the Lord gave me a car. <laughs> they looked at me like, well, thanks a lot. And I said, so I'm going to give you my car. And the guy said, you could do what? And his wife pulled her collar down. And it was a huge scar across the neck. And she said, I've had over 10 surgeries because I had a wreck in a little car. And I've been scared to death with this little car. Because I need a bigger car. How many of you know I get a biggest car I can find? Because I don't want to have to learn to walk every time I make a trip. 
big cars. I like big cars. People say, oh, you riding a big car. Yes, I'm riding in this car because they ain't made them bigger than this yet. I want them humongous. So I said to them, let's get in the car and ride around. And we rode around. The woman said, can I hug you? She didn't speak to me before. <laughs> now she's hugging me. And then she said, can I hug you again? I'm like, yeah, I love to hug. And then this big tattoo guy that I've been kind of scared of. Did you care if I hug you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm weird as you are. You hug me all you want to. He hugged me. God did some kiss from heaven. I said it was a kiss from heaven. Why? Because we need to let Jesus rule. I got to hurry. Y'all listening too slow. Let's go to the next one. But then we lose focus. How many of you know we lose focus? We'll do good for a while, and then we lose focus. And we'll get caught up in the blessings to the blesser. And our possessions begin to possess us. And we choose the balcony over the battle. Y'all looking at me like, I'll be glad when this is over. How many knows I'm telling you the truth? Because we'll get sincere when we're needing something, and then God blesses us, and we lose sight of that. <laughs> so we've got to be corrected. Boy, we don't like to be corrected, do we? <laughs> People's told me, will you father me? And I said, well, I don't know, but first time I correct you, I'll know whether I'm a father to you or not. Because if you run away, I don't guess I'll be fathering you. How many of you know this fathering thing ain't about just some titles? I mean, you really got to be corrected sometimes. I remember my first trip with Brother Yurton. I said to Brother Yurton, if you see anything I need to change, correct me. How many of you know Brother Yurton? <laughs> you know, he kind of sounds like God. <laughs> Went on first trip with him and walking down the hallway, feeling like I'd really done good. I preached with him, and he said, Rick, I'm like your servant here. Don't ever do this, this, or this again. Do you hear me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Stepped inside a motel. You know what I did? Fell on my knees. Thank God for a father that loved me enough so I wouldn't sabotage what God was trying to do in my life. Listen, if you can't be corrected, you're as smart as you're ever going to be. Enjoy yourself. This is it. This is an apex right here. <laughs> you riding high, the smartest you're ever going to be. You need to be willing to be corrected in whatever is needed to be corrected. People that's correcting you is trying to do you a favor, trying to help you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's still trying to help us. See, it's on the other side of correction. Everybody say on the other side of correction. The glory falls. For you that's been waiting, let me share with you one more point. The glory falls. Go ahead. The concept of God's glory falls. Seven things happened in 150 years before Debbie could read the scripture we heard. Did God change? Was God able to pour out his glory anytime he wanted to? 
How many of you believe God could pour out his glory tonight? His presence could land on this place and to a point we couldn't even get up out of Florida. Days could pass that we bask in the glory of the Lord. But it won't happen in your time schedule. It won't happen just because you command him to do it. Five things happen. I want to give them to you. I want you to write them down because it's important for you to get a hold of as I bring this message to a close. What is it going to take to experience the glory of the Lord? Number one, it's going to take preparation. Preparation. Write this down in your Bible because all those things that Donald put on the board are just ways in which we need to prepare ourselves to experience the glory of the Lord. Brother Rick, do you think God's going to do that? Yeah, I think God might have even give him the idea. How many of you know Brother Donald? How many of you know he ain't smart enough to figure all that out? God gave him that. Why? Because he's wanting position in vessels so that we can get the pouring of the Lord. So, number one, we got to be prepared. Everybody say, be prepared. Second thing that had to happen was there had to be provision. Did you know that David lived his life and raised millions and millions of dollars for that temple to be built? Yeah, there had to be provision. Listen, people say, well, God wants your money. Jesus spoke twice as much about money as anything else in the Bible. Dr. Parrish tells a story about a man named John, and he was walking out in the water to be baptized, and he's wearing bibbed overalls, and they saw that he had his wallet in his bibbed overalls, and they hollered at him, John, John, your wallet's in your pocket. He just kept walking out in the water. They kept hollering, John, your wallet's in your pocket. And finally, he turned around toward the bank, said, it needs baptizing worse than any part of me. <laughs> Listen, when God gets your wallet, he's got your heart. That's why Jesus taught on money. You're going to be either an investor or you're going to spend your life trying to figure out how to be prosperous so you can consume it on yourself. <laughs> what kind of life are you going to have? See, it takes provision. When Donald's talking about raising a million dollars in three years, it's like, what? Do what? You can't do anything without provision. They couldn't build that temple without it. Number three. It takes purpose. <laughs> Got to live your life with purpose. Donald made a statement a while ago. I want my life to bring glory to God. I want it to make people hungry. You got to live with a purpose in mind. It's got to be every day you live with that purpose. Lord, consume me with what you want me to do. The purpose for which you exist. The fourth thing you got to have is you got to have peace. David wouldn't let. Or God wouldn't let David build the temple because he didn't have peace. That's why the devil tries to keep the church so stirred up. Because if we're not at peace, the kingdom can't be established. We got to get over quitting one another. Waiting for an amen that didn't come. We got to get over quitting one another. I've had people grouchy at me at the grocery store, but how many of you know I didn't quit eating? How many of you can tell I did not quit eating? I poured in gas stations where people were grouchy and grumpy, but I didn't say, bless God, I'm going to park my car. I'll walk everywhere else I ever go. Uh-uh, I don't walk because I know how to drive. 
Debbie said to me, let's walk around the neighborhood. I said, where are we going to end up? She said, here. I said, I'm already here. <laughs> Won't you walk around the neighborhood? I'll be the welcome committee. You show up, I'm like, hey, welcome. <laughs> but you go to church and Sister Sugar Lips don't shake your hand. And you quit Jesus. <laughs> Look at your neighbor say, he really trying to help us? If you'll be at peace, he'll build his kingdom. Listen to me. If you'll be at peace in your heart, he'll build his kingdom. This is important stuff. The last thing. Carrie Beth, come to the music so they'll think I'm quitting. <laughs> Let's encourage him as much as we can. Persistence. I've had a thousand people ask me, when are you going to quit? I can't quit. I'm sorry. I can't quit. <laughs> Some burning in me. Why? Because I want to see that cloud over it. I want to get up under that point. My neighbor don't know Jesus. I can't go. My family's unsaved. I can't go. <laughs> do what you want to do. I want to love him anyway. Three years is going to pass no matter what we do. You know what my prayer is that three years from now, we scoot our bucket under that point. For the glory of the Lord. We start seeing him show up in this place. Where it don't matter who's preaching, who's singing, what's happening. We're experiencing the glory of the Lord. I pastored for four years, church in Texas. I didn't even know how to spell pastor. Sure didn't know how to be one. First service, God raised a woman from the dead. How many of you know that'll help your service? 31 people got saved from a Sunday to a Wednesday. I baptized people. I didn't even know the name. They just come in and say, I need to be baptized. I'm like, I get in a tank. It's been full since Sunday. We were there for a year. Three miracles happened. Church grew to 134 people from 27 folk. Why? Because of the glory of the Lord. People started trying to give me the glory for what was happening. I remember a woman telling me, Oh, I heard you raised a woman from the dead. I'm like, you've been misinformed. I was preaching when she died. If you come to my church, you better be strong because I can take you out in one message. I killed her. <laughs> Jesus raised her. Oh, for the glory of the Lord to come to 
bow your heads and hearts with me where you are. Forget about everybody around you because it ain't about them anyway. It's about you. I'm talking to you. But how many of you right now just say this? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how much it changes my schedule. I don't care how much it kills my sacred cows. I don't care if they sing my favorite song if they never sing it again. (laughs) I want the glory of the Lord more than anything in my life. That's you. Would you just with eyes closed, stand to your feet and lift both hands? I want the glory of the Lord. I want the glory of the Lord more than anything in my life. I hunger for the glory of the Lord. Can we just slip out of our seat and make our way down here to the front?